0: Today's scripture reading will be in 1 Corinthians. It will be chapter 12, verses 12 to 27. I repeat, that is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 27. I will be reading from the New International Version at verse 12. Just as a body. Though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jewish or Gentile, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now the foot says... Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, where every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye could not say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head could not say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving great honor to the parts that lack it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. May the Lord add his blessing to his word.
1: Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the gift of your word given to us in full expression in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that enlightens our eyes to understand all that you've given to us in your Son. We ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, this morning we are launching a brand new series. Someone's phone? Is it for me? I'm busy. We're launching a brand new series, and we were so blessed with our previous uh, series going through the disciplines. And over the next 13 weeks, we're going to be uh, launching a new series and going through a series called One Another. One Another. It's a series on relationships, connecting with one another, and really it's about what does it mean to be one body. What does it mean to build each other up? Because this is what we're called to. This is what we're called to. This, that series will end in, uh, at the end of June. In the summer, we're planning on, uh, so far, Lord willing, we'll will be doing a series on outreach. And how to, what does outreach look like in our lives? And in the fall, we're going to return to a, a doctrinal study on, on what we believe and going through some of the foundational doctrines. You know, a lot of people are away during the summer, and a lot of uh, new people visit our church and come to our church usually in the fall season. And so, it's a great time to really discuss and talk about and proclaim all of the truths and doctrines that we hold to as a church. So that's where we're going so far, Lord willing. Now, the Lord has been known to uh, cancel my plans but we believe that this is the direction we have right now for this year and today we're launching our brand new series called one another um, there's a couple of books that uh, i want to highlight for you the first is called building up one another it's by gene gets it's another classic and uh, it's been in print for i think over 20 years and uh we've kind of shaped the different weeks based on the different chapters so if you're desiring to get more in depth on what we discuss here on sunday you can go through the chapter of the week and it's also going to be discussed on wednesday night here at the church at 7 p.m whatever we talk about on sunday morning uh, we have a chance in the bible study and prayer time to go through some of the material uh, from maybe from a different perspective So I encourage you with that. The second book is by uh, Tony Evans, and it's called Horizontal Jesus. And uh, if you'd like a copy of these books, just connect with Charles or Sandra at the church office, and uh, we can make those available to you. Um, They're both modestly priced, so it shouldn't be too much of a problem uh, to get them for you in a couple of days. I want to read to you a passage from John 17 to open our time together this morning. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer, part of it. Verses 20 through 26 of John 17. It says this, Do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer. Technically speaking, it's his last prayer, really. And this prayer is broken into three sections. First, Jesus prays for himself. And he prays for the disciples. And in this section, these seven verses that we read, he prays for all of us. I think it's really telling that the Lord had us on his mind right before he was arrested. Here Jesus is. Picture this. In the Garden of Gethsemane, it's nighttime. He's tired. He's been praying. He's been inviting the disciples to pray along with him. He goes off by himself and prays that famous prayer, not my will, but your will be done. If it, be, if, it, if it at all possible, Father, that you would take this cup from me, that Jesus in this moment is there and he's praying so passionately with so much fervor, with all of who he is, every ounce of strength he has left, he's wrestling in prayer for the will of God. So much so that the Bible records that he began to sweat drops of blood. And as he's praying this prayer, and as he's pouring out his, his very heart to his Father, he has you and me on his mind. This is the Jesus we serve. This is the love that he has for us. The very last thing that Jesus is praying is for us. And what is he praying for us? What is the one thing that's on his mind? It's that we would be united. That we would be one, even as Jesus and the Father are one. There's strength and unity. John 17 records Jesus' high priestly prayer that we would be one, that we would be united, that we would live and walk in the same unity that Jesus has with the Father, that his Spirit would be in us and we would be in Him, that our unity would be made perfect. Jesus was in that garden pouring forth his heart, awaiting betrayal. And the last prayer he prayed before getting arrested. That you and I would be one in Him. This unity, therefore, is God's perfect will for us. Jesus is praying the perfect will of the Father for you and me. He's praying that we would be a unified people of one heart and one mind with one Lord. It's only in unity that we can proclaim an accurate witness of who Christ is. Do you believe that this morning? It's only through the unity that Christ is praying for us, praying the perfect will of God, that we are actually able to be effective witnesses for Christ. This is what Jesus says in this prayer. He says that they would be one so that they would so that the people would know that I am in them it's through our unity that we in part give our testimony of who and of the truth of who Christ is for each of us part of our personal testimony is that we belong to the body of Christ how it must grieve the heart of god To see his family in division, in disarray, in infighting, envy, and jealousy, and strife. How it must grieve the heart of God at every point in which one brother or sister slanders the other, speaks against them. Every time. One of us acts divisively against another member of God's church, we must realize that we are not doing God's work, but the work of the enemy. Let me reiterate God's perfect will is that we would be united. Because as we are united, the world comes to know the truth of who Christ is. Therefore, any act that we do that comes against the unity of God's church, even in simple words, is not doing God's work, but is in league with the enemy. It changes how we see gossip. It changes how we see The casual comments that are in keeping with having a united heart with God's church. There's a lot of problems with God's church. But God has promised that He is working in His church to remove every wrinkle, every spot, every blemish, to present to Himself a bride that is perfect and beautiful. Remember that. Remember that God's church is beautiful. How important is unity? It's the first importance. We can't really do much without unity. We see unity as being important in so many places. Not just in scripture, but even in uh, the outside world. We see unity as the bedrock of society. Something that's being attacked right now is the family unit. Marriage between husband and wife is the God-ordained context for the flourishing of of community. And yet that's that very unity is being challenged. Unity in the family. We also hear all the time uh, these words, join together for this cause, come together for this initiative. Let's be united. Let's do this together so that we can accomplish our goals. We see this in the news. We see this in the political rallies. Come to think of it, there's A lot of unity at these rallies, but there's also a lot of disunity and a lot of division, unfortunately. We see this in the business world. In fact, that's what a business partnership is. When you uh, go to apply to open a business, and if you're studying business, you'll know that the definition of partnership is two parties coming together, joined for a single purpose, and that purpose they would not be able to accomplish on, uh, of themselves alone, that they need each other. Each partner has a part to play. And we see this unity in the business world. We see this in the nonprofit sector, with the charities come in and, and join our cause, come in and, and, and get on board and be united. Let's come together, because they recognize the strength that is in unity, the power that is there as people are united. We see the importance of unity in almost every domain one can look. I mean, personally, I, uh, I enjoy uh, professional sports. and uh, last night, caught some of the Canadians game. Anybody here? No, okay. Well, you didn't miss much. Um, they were playing the Florida Panthers, and I think we were up three goals, and it was three to one, and everything was looking good, and then everything just fell apart. And it really looked like the Florida team in the second period was just coming alive, you know. And you can tell when you're you're an avid hockey watcher, you can kind of tell. You say, wow, it's it's not going well, and it's all downhill from here. That's what happened. So I decided to watch the basketball game instead. (laughs) And I'm very happy that North Carolina came out on top, and Villanova also won. So two of my teams are going to the final, final four. I love college basketball, by the way. But what's interesting is hearing the post-game press conferences of these sporting events, whether it's hockey, whether it's basketball, and they always interview the, the stars of the game. They take the best players who score, outscored everybody else, these young men, 18, 19, 20 years old, in college, getting ready for an amazing career, and they asked them what went wrong and what went right. And without fail, all the successful players always say, we were united. We came together as a team. We had each other's backs. It was a team effort, the coach says. It was all hands on deck. It was everyone doing their part. Everyone knowing their role and walking in it and doing it. And it was through that unity that we were able to be successful. That we can hoist the trophy because of the unity we had. Conversely, when you ask what happened, what went wrong, they get on RDS and talk to Michel Therrien. And he'll say something to the effect of, we just didn't work as a team. He has various ways of of spinning that, but essentially, that's what it is. We just didn't come together. We just weren't united. So we see it in the business world. We see it in professional sports. We see it uh, in almost every domain. We see it also in the world of entertainment. Uh, One of the big movies that's coming up is the new Avengers movie. Everyone excited for that? No, right? Okay. The youth are in the other room. Uh, I like superhero movies because I like the battle of good versus evil. And there's something that speaks to the story of Christ in almost all of them. And I've shared with you a little bit about that. But even during the sports games and the hockey game and the basketball game, they're running the ad for this movie, this new Avengers movie. And so we see it in entertainment as well. The whole premise of this upcoming movie is, the movie is entitled, guess what? It's called Civil War. And it's about how the Avengers are not united. And there's a big conflict, so much so that they got to make a whole movie about it because of the breakdown in the team. And as I was listening to this ad... There's a song, a chant that's going in the background. United, we stand. United, we stand. Divided, we fall. Divided, we fall. So we're seeing this unity in almost every domain. We also see it in Scripture. We don't get more than a few chapters in the Bible before we start seeing the strength of unity and the power of unity. We see it... Um, at the Tower of Babel. God said that because of their unity, nothing would be impossible for them. They, of course, weren't doing the will of God, so God confused their languages so that their endeavors would be put to an end and they would be scattered. So what does this mean for us as a church? How do we go about being united in Christ? This is the subject ...of our series over the next 13 weeks. So you've got to be here every week. If you want to find out, how do we, how do we walk in unity in Christ? And today we're kind of got, going to provide a little bit of a high-level response to this question. Gene Getz reminds us that we need to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. So you ask the question, how do we walk in unity? Well, the premise behind that is that if we're going to be united in Christ... We need to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. Galatians chapter 5 makes this contrast and distinction. Verses 16 through 26, it says this, keep in step with the Spirit. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit That those who do things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So what's the point? The point is that the desires of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit are opposed to each other. One side you've got the desires of the flesh, the other side you've got the desires of the Spirit, and they are in conflict with... One another, with one another. They're opposed to each other. And if we're walking in the flesh, we can't be walking in the spirit. But if we want to build the unity of the body of Christ, we need to be walking in the spirit. So, may I ask this morning don't raise your hand, but are you walking in the spirit? Are you walking in the flesh? Do we have a tendency to hear those words and say, yes, I kind of understand them as general concepts, but I really don't know what are the actual actions associated with the banner category of walking in the flesh? What does it really mean? How does it break down in in real life? Well, in the book, Gene Getz actually provides a list of both negative and positive one another's. And I want to read to you the list. And I'd like you to take a moment to think about your relationships. To think about your interactions with the church. And how you relate to the church. And how you relate to your brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to read the negative list first. And then I'm going to read the positive list after. The statements are as follows. Acts of the sinful nature. Lusting for one another. Judging one another. Depriving one another. Biting one another. Devouring one another. Destroying one another. Provoking one another. Envying one another. Lying to one another. Hating one another slandering one another, grumbling against one another. All of these have verses attached to them. All of them are found in Scripture as showing the acts of the sinful nature have to do with our relationships. Acts of the sinful nature are not simply uh, our own vertical relationship with God, but our horizontal relationship with one another. They're affected by that. Remember that when we walk in the flesh, we are not walking according to God's perfect will for us. And it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It says in this list are we members of one another? Are we devoted to one another, honoring one another? being of the same mind toward one another, love one another, edifying, accepting, and instructing, and greeting one another, waiting, caring, serving, carrying one another's burdens, being kind to one another, submitting to one another, esteeming one another, encouraging one another, confessing sins to each other, praying for one another, offering hospitality, and fellowshipping with one another. Over the next several weeks, the next 13 weeks, we are going to be going through some of those that I just mentioned. Some of the more foundational one another's in Scripture that are designed to help us in our relationships as we seek God's perfect will in our lives. As we seek to be united in Christ one faith, one Lord, one baptism. As we seek to do His perfect will to put away the, de- the deeds of the sinful nature that we would no longer walk in the flesh, but we would walk according to His Spirit. The series is about moving through the pillars of the one another's. As we seek to build our church and the family of God. Why would we do that? Why are we going through that? Well, the goal is that we would grow up. Turn to your neighbor and just say, Grow up. Come on, turn to your other neighbor say, Grow up. It's time to grow up. This is the goal. This is the goal, that we would grow up. Amen. Amen. The goal is outlined for us in Ephesians chapter 4. It says, And he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Notice he says he gave. These are gifts to the church. For what? The goal is building up the body of Christ. Until when? Until we all attain to the unity of faith in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together to every joint, by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. These are the squad goals. That we would grow up. That we would build each other up. And that's why we're moving through the foundational one another's in Scripture so that we would all attain to the unity, the perfect will of God. That we'd grow together and be mature, not being tossed by every wind of teaching, but that we would be mature and that we would speak the truth in love and cause the body of Christ to grow. How can we work at this? How can we get to that place of maturity? And how can we recognize maturity as it moves forward? There's three... Principles I want to lift out to you from the chapter uh, of the week. And then I'm going to close the message. Gene Getz lifts out these three important truths to guide our being members of one another. This is how we measure if we're making progress in maturity. First one, he says, is interdependence. No individual can function effectively in isolation and alone. There's no lone rangers in the body of Christ. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. He wasn't alone. And Tonto usually saved the day. And the Lone Ranger got credit for it. But I often hear that these, you know, pirate church ministries, and they're all there out, out on their own. And these, uh, some friends of mine, who I, I, they've been somewhat disillusioned with the church. And I've been inviting them back to church and, and working on them and reaching out to them. And I'm sure you have been as well. But we just can't fulfill God's will for our lives without each other. We just can't walk in the perfect unity and in the perfect will of what Jesus prayed for us unless we are together. Is the church perfect? No. There's no perfect church. But that doesn't mean we fail to strive for it. That we recognize, and I believe all of you are here this morning, because we all recognize one thing, that is regardless of our failings and our faults, we need each other. We need each other. Remember the scripture that says in Hebrews 10, 26, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves. But all the more so as you see the day approaching. There's tests and trials and difficulties that we weren't meant to face alone. But we were meant to bring us to a... God's Word will bring us to a place of interdependence. So really interdependence, that sounds maybe like a... Uh, a complicated word. Let me try to break it down for you. We all know what dependence is. Like a child is dependent on their parents. This is a phase for babies. They're completely dependent. And maybe you have kids that should be at a place of independence. They're still at dependence. Uh, well, we can talk about that. But that's what God's plan was, is that we would start off in a place of dependence As children. our parents, being dependent on them. Then we come to a place of maturity and we get to a place of independence where we go out on our own, we become responsible for ourselves. One man told me that the mark of maturity is not only independence but your ability to provide for someone else. That's what I always encourage young couples to understand, that when they're about to get married, that it's really not uh, a selfish proposition that's happening. But that's what marriage really should be, and that is a place of not dependence, not independence, but interdependence. Okay? So interdependence is actually the conscious choice to be working together with someone else, to understand our own limitations, And to work together in partnership, in unity. And that's pleasing before God. That is a place of maturity. And that's the maturity that God wants for His church, for us. That we would grow not to a place of just dependence, where we come to church just to have a one-sided relationship. And not that we would come to church just Sunday morning and then we're living our life independently of the body the rest of the week. But that as we grow in maturity... The principle that Pastor Getz points out for us, this first thing, is this concept of interdependence, that we would grow towards a level of maturity where we are intentionally depending on each other. The second principle is humility. No member of Christ's body should feel more important than any other member of Christ's body. We are what we are because of Him, it's by grace that we have been given gifts. They are called gifts for a reason. Remember, we talked about the five offices, mentioned those five gifts, apostle, pastor, teacher, evangelist. We we mentioned them as gifts to the church. It's not something that these individuals have done by their own merit or accomplishing out of their own ability or skill. But all of these are gifts to the church, gifts given to the church so that we would Grow in maturity. And that means that to have a correct understanding of how the body will grow, we need to walk in humility. And the third is the principle of unity. Every Christian should work hard by creating unity in the body of Christ. And I want to tell you this morning that unity isn't easy, it's hard work. It means we're going to have to bite our tongues, it means we're going to have to pick our battles. It means we're going to have to exercise grace, the same grace that was given to us. We're going to have to exercise with each other. It means we're going to have to forgive. It means we're going to have to be the bigger person. It means we're going to have to be the one to speak first and apologize first. It means we're going to have to be the ones to extend the hand of grace. Are you ready? Are you ready to do this? This is what pleases God. This is what pleases God, that we would lay down our pride, that we would lay down what we think we're owed and we'd understand that it's all by grace. Fellowship, true fellowship, authentic community, brothers and sisters, is messy. It's not always pleasant. There really is no ideal situation, but we strive for it. And to do that, we're going to need to be coded by His grace. We're going to need to be covered by his grace, saturated in it, so far in it that we lose sight of ourselves and our own prerogatives. Where will this all lead? What is the hope and the promise? And I want to close with this point that this unity will lead to an unstoppable church. Acts 4. 32 to 33, these two verses record this. Now the full number of those who believed were one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And so what? And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was on them all. What is it saying? It's saying that they were united. And because of this unity, in verse 32, in verse 33, the apostles were proclaiming the testimony of the church with great power, with great effectiveness. Can we see, church, that if we are ineffective in our outreach to those that are far from God, is it because we fail in the area of unity first? But that if we come together, if we truly love one another, as the scripture says, then the world will know that we belong to him. And that our love is what for, for one another is what will testify to the truth of who he is. At what cost are we dis united? If that's a word. If not, I take credit for it. At what cost do we allow disunity? To prevent our testimonies from reaching God's lost children, they go hand in hand. The maturity that comes through unity leads to an effective church. Babies don't give birth to babies, that is something reserved for maturity. Our focus and goal is to grow to a place of maturity that many more would come to know him. When the outside world looks in and sees a church that speaks the truth in love, when they see the unity, this is how the truth of our words will be determined. Jesus said we will prove to be his by our love for one another. Church, there is no other way. There is no plan B. There is no scheme or plan of man that will bring about the result that God desires for his church. There is no other way. But when we follow his lead when we love each other because Christ first loved us, we bear witness to his truth. That's when the world sees his beauty in all his splendor and in all his glory. They will know the one we proclaim when we stand together united as one. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word today. Thank you for helping us to see how the desires of the sinful nature and the desires of the flesh are contrary to what you want to do and according to your perfect will. Help us to see how walking in the Spirit truly affects our relationships with each other. Lord, we've been reminded of the strength in unity and the power of unity. We know, Lord, that even as a church, we can't accomplish much unless we are united. Help all of our relationships, Father, to be galvanized in grace. That we would follow your lead in how you love us. And that the world would know We are in you as we are united with each other. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.